And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on. And pre-season testing got underway in Bahrain with the very familiar sight of Max Verstappen and Red Bull topping the timesheets by just 29 thousandths of a second from Aston Martin's Fernando Alonso. But what does it all mean? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to tell all from the first day of serious running in 2023 is Scott Mitchell Mound. Well, Scott, day one, we're just back at the hotel from testing. Always great to see the new cars in in reality, isn't it? In the flesh. Yeah, especially when you've uh, we've had a launch season like this where we only got like some real cars right towards the end. Uh, obviously, there isn't the same sort of fascination as there was 12 months ago when the covers were coming off totally new cars built to very different regulations. Very much um, evolution, not revolution this year. But when you've got things like... We haven't seen the RB19, so we haven't seen how 2022's best car has been made better. We haven't seen any of the cars run properly on track, apart from the few laps I got to see it, of the Ferrari shakedown at, at Fiorano. And it's just an opportunity to just get some hints, get a flavour of where things are at. And when it's this single three-day test, I do genuinely believe we see more of the real picture, especially when there's a continuation from last year it's harder for people to hide. Still, definitely everything we say has to be caveated, just like it normally does. But yeah, it's, it's, it's always a, a fun time of the year and this is no exception. Yeah, and just to be clear, to get those caveats in, anything we say, it's very provisional data. We know- Fuel loads, engine modes, uh, drivers pushing hard. What, what else is Conditions, there? track Conditions. temperature. Obviously, they run into the night here under the floodlights as well as in the middle of the day. So there's all sorts of variables. But the thing I always say is, this is the best data we've got. It's not very good but it's the best we've got. And every time you get another day of testing and then into a race weekend, that data multiplies. So this is all very, very provisional. But there's a few storylines that are starting to emerge. The thing that did slightly surprise me, and then maybe surprise me less when I thought about it, is we didn't see 
much dramatically obvious new stuff on the cars that have been hidden in testing. Now, we're still sifting through photos. There's a lot of images. Obviously, we've got more looking at cars to do. So there's there's probably some things there we haven't yet spotted. But these are relatively close to the launch cars. There's not been much we've looked at and go, wow, we hadn't seen that. We hadn't seen that floor edge or this clever trick diffuser or anything it's been pretty much as expected well i think the big example of that is the the mclaren floor isn't it the one yeah, why, why was that blurred out <laughs> well, it, it doesn't seem to be a very valid answer beyond mclaren could so they did i, I think there was a you, you would do that wouldn't you especially if you're the last to run you might think oh let's blur something just to just to get a little bit of interest I, I just they've got the opportunity to just like stop people from seeing it for a little bit longer so i think they took it you look at it and it's a very very similar floor to what they ran last year i believe so no great no great changes there and that to me summed up the whole or oh, what are we going to see revealed oh actually like no, nothing particularly stunning however i would caveat that with i i'm not ruling out a few teams rolling out some some particularly special bits on the final day it does feel like that's there's a bit less freedom to do that at this test because every bit of mileage really really counts and you want to i think you want to run as reliably as you can with with the car that you want to go racing with because your your window to understand it is so small. But if you've got 120, 130 laps a day in the book on day one and day two, you've got that great information. It is a great opportunity to back to back on the, on the final day. And we've seen, you know, his, history tells us that the likes of Red Bull like to bring stuff to the party later. It wouldn't surprise me if the cars do evolve over the test, but I think, it, I think they're fair. The, the launch and shakedown cars the ones that we saw for real, I think were quite a faithful faithful version of what we've seen here. Red Bull, of course, had a side pull upgrade on the last day of testing here last year, didn't they? So that was one of those moments when something new came out. But I think anything new we do see, and I'm sure we will see some new parts, will be very much evolution. It's not going to be a sudden swerve or change of direction. Probably, could be wrong, have been wrong before. But I think it probably signals that we're getting into that point where it's quite iterative, isn't it? They've got the basic car concept that they're working with, and it's all just about squeezing it that bit more getting a bit more out refining those airflow structures so that's very much what it's about obviously the red bull rb19 as you mentioned that's new today we'll talk about that later we've got gary anderson coming up to give us a bit of a briefing on that car but as we mentioned in the introduction max verstappen was fastest nothing new there one minute 32.837 seconds he logged a massive 157 laps on the first public appearance of the red bull Testing, as we've alluded to, you can't take the timesheets too seriously, but at the race, we always like to take a deeper look at the lap time data, and Mark Hughes has been crunching the numbers while we've been dashing around the paddock, so here's his analysis of today's running. First of all, it shouldn't be a big surprise to anyone that Max Verstappen's Red Bull was the fastest. What may have raised more than a few eyebrows, though, is that Fernando Alonso's Aston Martin all but matched his best lap. We need to be careful with that though. The track was around 23 degrees centigrade when Fernando did that time, quite late in the day, and Verstappen was well into his long runs by then, having set his time on a much hotter, less grippy track. So can we assess the difference in terms of lap time of those varying track temperatures? No, not really. We can say the track was definitely faster when it was cooler, but when we're separating cars out by a hundredth of a second, we can't put a meaningful value on it, really. We can, however, probably get some idea from the relative pace of the cars as they made their longer runs. Verstappen did three sets of these, each slightly faster than the previous one, but all quicker than anyone else's equivalents. 
Charles Leclerc's Ferrari, Alonso's Aston Martin, and Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes look very evenly matched in this comparison, albeit all around three tenths away from Verstappen's average. Over a single lap, the Mercedes looked less drivable than the Ferrari and Aston appearing not to like the bumps and the curbs. Fifth fastest in the headline times and just edging out Hamilton was Lando Norris's McLaren, but that time was set even later than Alonso's and very much a one-off. The only decent length sequence of laps the McLaren completed was on the harder C1 tyre, so again, comparison is difficult because the others were all on the yellow. The Alfa Romeo and Williams, however, got plenty of laps in and they both looked to be within a very respectable distance of the Ferrari Aston Mercedes pace uh, on the long runs. Both Alex Albon and Logan Sargent look way more competitive than would have been feasible with last year's Williams. For Alpine and AlphaTauri, though, the numbers tended to confirm what they looked like on track, which was difficult. Well, Scott, let's get on to the Red Bull RB19 in detail. That was the big talking point. We hadn't really seen it. We'd seen a tiny bit of it from a distance. Nothing we could really conclude from that. Evolution, not revolution, as you mentioned. We've got Gary in a moment, but what's your general impression of where Red Bull is at so far? I mean, they're in a great, I think they're in great shape. Um, I careful I don't trip up here over many too many double negatives but I I don't see a reason why they shouldn't be considered favorites there's there's no evidence of the car having any obvious vices like the lap time seemed to come quite easily and obviously that this wasn't the car trimmed out and I don't think there were any teams that went absolutely 100% maximum attack although that Aston Martin lap from Alonso was was pretty on it in the in the evening um so with Red Bull I think car looks good lap time seems to have come quite easily on whatever fuel loads and engine modes they were running on track it looks really well balanced just I was standing I was at turn the exit of turn 10 so watching it into 9 and 10 and just it it coped with that combination of corner better than anything else on a more consistent basis so that was great and it was so reliable. They did, what, nearly three Grand Prix distance or three full Grand Prix distances. Um, no hint of a problem. They seemed pretty happy with the fact that it just allowed them to run through loads of setup options. They've explored the window of the car a little bit more. I, I think they had the perfect opening day to a test. It's not to say that other teams didn't have a good day, but when you're already the world champion team and you had the fastest car in 2022 and you start a pre-season test like this... Why should anyone believe that anyone else is is the favourite, is the number one team at the moment? Exactly, especially with such an evolutionary kind of car. And I had a similar impression. We were both watching trackside at the same time, but at different corners. You were at 910, which is that. That wasn't because, that was just so in case anyone's wondering, that isn't because we were careless. It was deliberate. It was so that we were at trackside at the same time at two different corner profiles. Exactly, yes. Well, yours was the, the slow left-hander. Everything about the track configuration wants to push the car out wide and not let it get into the corner. Very, very tough challenge of braking. The the combination entry is tricky there. Where I was, turn 11 is a corner I like because it's a very long one. Fourth gear they normally dip into for that one, the uphill left-hander. So you're in the corner for a long time. So it's one of those ones where vices of the car can be shown. And sometimes you see cars that have a limitation on entry and you can kind of get around it a bit, but then it always catches you out somewhere later on or vice versa. So it's an interesting one. And the Red Bull looked great there. It didn't look breathtaking, but it just came through every lap. It just, it rotated nicely on entry. 
get the power down. Verstappen was just effortless, just, just looked really good. The Ferrari looked pretty good there for me as well, but we'll get onto the Ferrari in a moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We should probably let Gary speak about the Red Bull RB19 now. He spent quite a lot of the day studying it, poring over those images. He did a piece on the race website if you want to have a read of that. But here's Gary's in-depth analysis of the new Red Bull. Well, at last we've got our eyes on the uh, RB19 um, Red Bull's latest uh, F1 creation, and it's a it's a pretty tidy vehicle, I must say. Um, again, it's the same philosophy as sort of Ferrari and and uh, Mercedes to some extent. It's a dot the i's and cross the t's. Um, they haven't gone away from their their concept, um, which is nice to see because they obviously believe in it, and there's no reason to not go that route because they they obviously did a very good job last year. The car was quick right through the season so um, if they can take a little bit of weight out of the car because it does appear the car last year was was a little bit too heavy if they can take a little bit of weight out of the car that's just free lap time um, it doesn't come at any expense whatsoever other than potential reliability because um, you know things if they're made lighter they can break easier so you just have to be a little bit careful but I'm sure they're well aware of, of that situation so starting in the front the wing front wing itself um Again, this is with the, the, the proviso that lots of these things are um, are re- replaceable. Um, you know, the wing is a typical example. There will be a few different variations through the season. It has a bolt-on component. So at the end of the day, um, it could be changed. But the trailing edge of the front flaps, um, more uniform than, than last year. Although in some cases last year, they did run a fairly uniform trailing edge. Um, but this year's one does look a bit more uniform. Uh, means that the, the the wake coming off the front wing will be um, easier to manage. It'll be more uniform in its direction. Um, they've got the slot gap right across the front, uh, the, the front element to the second element, as they did last year. Again, that gives better airflow to the undersurface of the nose. And that's the import, very important part in the car because it's that flow that actually gets to the leading edge of the centre of the floor. So it's really the area where the diffuser works on. The more you can, more airflow you can pull underneath that part of the chassis, the more airflow gets to the leading edge of the floor in a clean and tidy manner. Um, and it means the diffuser uh, can work on that and pull it through underneath the floor of the car at a relatively high speed, which is what creates the downforce. So detail at the front of the car affects the rest of the car all the way through, whereas detail of the diffuser will only make the diffuser work harder. So you have to start at the front, walk to the back. Um, so taking that into account, you know, they've done a, a good job in the front, the, um, the front wing assembly, just a little bit of change here and there. Front suspension looks very similar to last year. Um, underneath it all, uh, I know it would, it would surprise me if they got the same chassis as last year, but on the other hand, it wouldn't surprise me because obviously it's a, it's a good way of saving quite a lot of money out of your budget if you can use the same tooling and moulds um, to make that chassis, but just small, subtle changes. Um, and obviously with their overspend last year on the budget cap, they may have to pull back a little bit uh, this year. 
front suspension layouts very similar to last year again um, pull rod operated lots of anti-lift on the front top wishbone so when you come off the brake pedal the um, the front of the car doesn't respond so quickly um, uh, and and come up so quickly can't, you can't really see the bottom wishbone in detail but I'm sure there's um, the two of them top wishbone and bottom wishbone go together as far as that's concerned the geometries go, go together um, but again it's not no big change in last year it's uh, more detailed just optimizing what they had and obviously they believe in that which is important because it's it's one of those sort of situations where you don't want to throw everything you learned last year in, into the bin as far as the side of the car is concerned looking at it and just as a general side profile again very similar the side pods change a little bit and i think that's probably due to uh, radiator packaging underneath the bodywork um Slight detail change, more sort of uh, more lumps and bumps, I suppose you might call it. Um, but you know, nothing dramatic. Um, they've obviously tightened up in some areas a little bit here and there to get more volume through that undercut. But again, it's the mechanical stuff inside that will be dictating a lot of the the changes that we're seeing. Um, you can see a little bit more of the the sips, the side pod anti intrusion system. Um, it's just, you know, obviously you, you clad the bodywork as tightly as possible and then there's some things inside it you have to just create blips and, and bumps for. So uh, they're obviously very good at doing that because that's been an Adrian Newey philosophy for many years. Get the, the overall general body profile to be as as neat and tidy as possible. And there has to be a little lump in it here and there. Well, so be it. Um, it's the first car we've seen really the detail on the sides of the floor. They've had a good understanding uh, since these regulations came in. And, and even before that, you know, they were the ones that were running, able to run the high rake and still seal the underfloor when we had the as such flat bottom cars up to um, 2021. And last year, again, they had the car that had sort of met best performance and least porpoising, I think, out of the whole field. So that on-off switch of the floor reaching the ground and ceiling didn't seem to be a major concern to Red Bull. Um, and I'd be interesting this year to see, because they, they do look as though they've got quite a lot more significant details on the sides of the floor to, to try to recover that 15 millimeter gap that the regulations have now uh, instigated to try to reduce the porpoising. They've got a couple of little small turning veins um, at the sort of halfway down the floor which are, you could say, they're sort of little flick-ups to try to pull some airflow out of that front corner of the floor. And then they've also got a, a wing section, longitudinal wing section on the edge of the floor. Now, the regulations dictate that they're, you're allowed to work within a certain thickness of floor. And what you do needs to be within that certain thickness. And it has to be a certain distance outwards. You can't, you can't have it. You know, it's not just as big as you want to make it. It's controlled in size. But that uh, little wing section, it was seen last year in some cars. Um, and what that does mean, it's a bit like a slotted flat wing. It means that when it does get low to the ground, you've still got some flow coming through that slot gap, which means that the, 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 the ceiling to the ground is not so much a light switch, it's a, a sort of dimmer switch. You just uh, don't completely seal it off. It's more progressive, I suppose you might call it. So... That's always a good thing because the last thing a driver wants is, is just suddenly he's got lots of downforce um, and even worse, suddenly you've got none or get a lot less. That's whenever the driver gets a bit spooked with it all. So yeah, detail there. I'm sure it will change dramatically as time goes by. It'll be interesting to see some of the other teams, what they adopt because none of the other teams have really showed us their, 
there wears in that area, but it is going to be the area this year to try to recover that 15 uh, millimetre height gain loss of downforce, which most people are predicting to be three tenths to half a second loss. Um, and that's, you know, it's halfway up the grid. So, um, yep, rear suspension, push rod as last year. Again, wouldn't be surprised if it's very similar to last year because the gearbox itself is a very expensive um, piece of kit. So if it worked and did its job and was okay and you're attaching it to the same engine, why spend the money on changing it? It's not an easy, an easy thing to do. But overall, you know, it's one of these sort of cars that we've seen pictures of, we haven't seen the detail of it. Uh, and it's the detail that makes these things work. It looks neat and tidy. From my point of view, it's not got anything too dramatically changed. Um, but again, only they know the, the gap in performance that they had factually, i.e. how much they were losing because of the weight of the car how much they were losing in certain little areas and how much they've gained on this car. So they they will have to gain in performance. Um, I think when I say gain, I think you've got to be looking at doing the same lap times as last year, um, even with that three tenths to half a second loss from the regulation changes. Has it Have they changed enough to take a step forward? Can't visually see that, but I don't see anything that will make them go slower. Well, great stuff there from Gary. But let's talk a little bit about Ferrari, Scott, who are the obvious rivals based on last year. What was interesting is I had a slightly different impression of the Ferrari from turn 11 to what you had from turn 9 and 10 because it looked sort of Red Bull-esque in the, in the turn 11 left-hander, not quite so together where you were. No, it wasn't, um, it wasn't bad. And certainly at its best, it, it looked almost as comfortable as the, as the Red Bull and the Mercedes did. But... There were there were just a few times that Leclerc came through the the car the front of the car was it just looked like it was difficult to get the front front to really hook in and and hit the apex of of the second left the the, the turn ten. One thing that is really obvious there is you can see it if the front slides a little bit mid corner it just sort of washes out. You can also see when understeer sets in really early when you can see the driver having to just apply quite a lot of lock. Uh, early on and the Ferrari wasn't doing the latter it wasn't like Leclerc was turning and it was just pushing 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 but it was almost like he would get to the corner and then just as he wants it to really tuck into the apex it just the front would just wash a little bit wide and it, it would just be a little bit of sliding on the the front axle that's what it looked like from from the outside it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what the cause of that was, but the effect was that he did miss the apex more times than, than Verstappen did. And I, I think a little bit, it looked a little bit less positive on the front than the Mercedes did, but it's really difficult to know how much of that was impacted by obviously the, the run plan. Cause the, the, the fuel load in the car there, when you're, when you're take, trying to take so much speed off when the car's so loaded up will make a huge impact to how nimble it looks. Yeah, exactly. It's only a snapshot. We like to accumulate trackside stints throughout the test. So you build up a picture of the car, each of the cars, because you get different conditions, different tyres, etc., different run plans. So it, it, it's sort of a, a cumulative basis. So this is very much a, a provisional first impression we had there. But yeah, the, the Ferrari where I was looked pretty good. It was rotating very nicely. Actually carrying the speed through, wasn't much understeer problem. You got on the power nicely for the exit. So looking positive from there. Certainly Red Bull 
making serene progress. Ferrari seem absolutely fine as well. So nothing particularly surprising there. My most amusing takeaway I can give from watching the Ferrari track side is there were two times where Leclerc was a massive nuisance to the car behind. Um, I don't think either of them did, did anything wrong. It was just the first time I think Lando Norris was following maybe four or five car lengths back and Norris just had a huge lockup coming into 10. It just looked like he'd either misjudged it based on how close he was to the Ferrari or he got caught out by the dirty air of the Ferrari coming into the left-hander. But the upshot was that the McLaren just sailed way past the apex with with a big lockup. And the other one was, um, people might have seen, it was basically the last lap of the of the session. Um, De, I think it was De Vries was in the Alfa Tauri at the time. De Vries and Leclerc basically raced each other. So De Vries was all over him on the that, that final lap. Got really close to him under break of a 10. I br- actually briefly thought De Vries might lock up and rear end him. It was really quite close, especially as De Vries ended up over the curb um, on the on the outside. Um, and if you get on that, it's really easy to then just like lock the brake and then pile into the back. And then De Vries actually then just tucked into Leclerc's slipstream, had the DRS open and sent a move inside him into turn 11. But I think by that point, you'd had to... Um, vacate your trackside viewing point to go to Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Testing collisions are very rare. We haven't had one of those for ages. The last one I can remember was at Valencia in 2010 when Nico Hülkenberg and Pedro de la Rosa had a little bit of No, contact. there was one at Barcelona a few years after that with Susie Wolf and Pascal Verlein, I want to say. Oh, they that's had good a, mouth. That they had a, clum- they had a clumsy contact. I think it, Wolf was definitely involved because I remember going to her media session to to ask her about it. But I, I think it was Verline, but I can't be 100% sure. That's excellent recollection, but still quite rare and probably good that it didn't happen today. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, Scott, let's get on to Mercedes. There were some concerns about it heading into this test with those little hints of porpoising from their Silverstone shakedown. But has today proved that they're on the right track? Um, I think, well, certainly a better track than um, than last season. Um, by this point last season, I don't mean the Bahrain test, I mean halfway through the first day of running, Mercedes knew they were in trouble. 
um, the the porpoising had already and whatever kind of bouncing that they were really afflicted by was already manifesting itself by that point. So they 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 were in trouble. It, this is a lot more straightforward. I think the car seems quite well balanced. They seem happy with that. They seem to understand where they're at. They've been able to commit to an ambitious program and they've been able to work through everything that they want to work through. And I think they want to carry on doing that over the next couple of days. Does that mean they're in the pole fight, in the win fight for Bahrain? Don't know. What won't probably won't know until what probably won't know even at the end of this test. What I would say is that it's more in line with what we would expect and what they need. Um, I think you characterized it as setting them up for a more normal first part of the season, which I think is a good way of putting it. It doesn't disprove or prove anything, any of the rumours that were came out over the winter about where, where they were, were they behind on the wind tunnel, were, were they perhaps missing something and in need of an early season upgrade to really lift them into contention. But there are no obvious dramatic demons haunting this car that, that's what it looks like based on day one. And I think if I could sort of give one thing that people can take away from the first day of testing is I often find it's a lot easier to see who's got it wrong than it is to see who's really got it right. I feel like after Barcelona last year, we had a reasonable idea that Mercedes might have got it wrong, but I don't get that impression here. It does. It feels like they're a little bit more on top of everything now. Yeah, and certainly... They're not porpoising down the straight as they were last year. They said they had a tiny bit in turn 12, but that's quite a porpoisey corner, for want of a better word. You know, porpoising is not a thing that's just completely vanished. The, the question is whether you've got big problematic porpoising, and that seems to be okay for Mercedes, so it's just how much progress can they make. The interesting thing about the Mercedes is it did look very lively at turn 11 in a good way. It was really turning in very, very positively and decisively, but without the kind of telltale sign because sometimes when a car turns in really really decisively it kind of keeps turning in when you no longer want it to but you weren't seeing the drivers sort of having that immediate rotation and then having the moment it was just rotating quickly in bang a few times Lewis Hamilton was a little bit over eager on the throttle in the exit phase of the corner had a little wobble that's not unusual in that corner but it, it looked it looked pretty good from that perspective it looked it looked on the nose at, at, at turn 10 to the point where actually Hamilton did have a couple of um slight rear end slides so that was the difference I saw between the Mercedes and the Ferrari when the Ferrari had its moments mid-corner with the understeer it was the front axle sort of sliding wide when it was the Mercedes it was um it was a case of Lewis having to do a bit of a correction um you could see him sort of fast hands on the steering wheel couple of slides and then obviously that sometimes has the impact of causing a bit of wheel spin off the corner just a bit of a traction limitation but other but in, just in general the it was the the positivity of the front end was good they didn't ever feel like he was really struggling to get it in it was almost actually the opposite it was sometimes the rear was struggling a tiny bit to keep up but that tended to happen towards the end of his stints certainly in the first half of the stints in particular the car looked really well balanced yeah very different corners there because where I was is sort of fast and a bit uphill so if you do have a little bit of that that will help you whereas where you were is the opposite that'll exacerbate any problems so there's probably a, a mean point in the middle of those two we'll we'll get a picture where, of that where you where you neatly find the red bull i think exactly yeah very much so it looked very nicely balanced so we've talked about the three big teams but let's quickly run through the other seven we'll work through them in pace order from today 
obviously we're going to address everyone throughout the, the testing podcast. This is just a kind of quick starting point. So Scott, Aston Martin. Started poorly. Um, not great to have that the first red flag of the uh, of the test and electrical issue for Felipe Drogovic. And then Fernando Alonso lost some time as well at the start of his uh, half day in the car. He picked up some floor damage um, very early on. I think he'd done six laps at the time and just needed to sit in the garage while they while they did a bit of repair work. But where they ended the test was a lot more positive. So the big takeaway for me from it is Alonso's lap time was basically identical to Aston Martin's best time in qualifying last year. And no one else is anywhere near their qualifying times. Now that reflects as much about how bad the Aston Martin was at the start of the 22 season as it does say how brilliant the Aston Martin is at the start of 23. The amount that that car was improved over the course of last year means I think if you'd taken the AMR 22 back to Bahrain at the end of the season, I suspect it probably could have gone anywhere from sort of six tenths to a second faster than it managed in qualifying a year ago. But I thought it was telling because it indicated, put it this way, it was no surprise to me that Alonso had done a lap that good given what I saw trackside. I don't know if what it was like for you. I think we talked about this and I think you said it was the same, but it was visibly obvious that he was pushing harder than any driver. He seemed to be trying to find the limit a lot earlier. That can be run plan dictated. Obviously, if they're doing more qualifying simulation-y types of runs, even on higher fuel, he will be pushing harder to to find that limit. But he definitely looked... um, he looked like he was chasing speed, let's put it that way. They might have also, if things were running well, slightly changed up the programme because obviously Lance Stroll's not at this test. He had his bike incident. The team's being very tight-lipped about the plan and how likely he is to do the Bahrain Grand Prix. I think we have to, at the very least, to list him as a, as a doubt for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Certainly, Felipe Drugovic got in the car. So it may be that Alonso wanted to get a certain type of work done if all the, the other stuff was ticked off to accelerate his preparation in case they need to give some track time to uh, to another driver. But yeah, nice solid start for Aston Martin. McLaren were next up in terms of that pace, but yeah, a, a difficult one for them. The least mileage covered of all teams. They seem to be having a few little problems. I haven't seen up close exactly what they were dealing with, but they, they seem to have a few little areas they were they were struggling with. Unfortunately, I, I can't answer that specifically. Um, I, I don't really know exactly what they were we're dealing with it at this stage. We're speaking to Andrea Stella, the new team principal. Um, I think, I think at the end of this, towards the end of the the afternoon um, today, or at today as people listen to it, because it's, it'll, be, it'll be the Friday afternoon here in Bahrain. Um, but I did see quite a few images, like through the course of the day, of like some quite frowny faces in the McLaren garage, um, whether it was Lando Norris, Stella, or some of the engineers. Same with Oscar Piastri when he drove the car as well. And it's it's a bit concerning because obviously you would hope it's not anything like the cooling problems they had last year. I can't imagine they'd fall foul of the same thing. So I'd be amazed if it's that. But it, it, does, all, it does fit in a little bit f- for different reasons with the, the way they were downplaying things at the car launch. And the impression I got trackside, which was that the car's not, it didn't look terrible, but it didn't wow me. How, I, was it the same for you? 
Yeah, it looks a little bit erratic. It, it's really difficult because this was the first time watching the car and I was watching it and thinking back to what Lando Norris was saying last year about the car being a bit inconsistent and on a knife edge, very easy to fall off either side and have to adapt. And it's very easy to have that in mind and kind of attribute that to a few sort of normal little moments. I want to see more from that car, but I wasn't amazed by it. And there were a few moments where sort of the front end would give up a little bit. They weren't quite able to get it into the corner as hoped. So interesting. That's consistent with what I saw. Yeah. That, that, there was a lot of him missing the apex. I didn't see a lot of that car. What I did see was a little bit underwhelming. And that, again, that by the end of the third day, that might mean nothing. And it's not terribly so, but it's just that, that all the cars look pretty good. They're, you know, they didn't all it look felt, like first honestly, day cars of old. Honestly, it felt like a lot of the other midfield cars that, when they came through under control, they looked good, but it looked like it didn't take a lot to push them over that that limit. I mean, not to get ahead of myself, but it was the same with the Alpha Tauri. That looked really inconsistent when it came through, depending on how De Vries was driving it. It was the same for Alonso, but he was visibly pushing it a lot harder. So Alonso caused easily the biggest lockup that I saw of anyone at turn 10 with the speed that he carried in and was never going to make it. And it was, a lot of them, those midfield teams had those moments. but And it might just be that because we didn't see as much of the McLaren, it didn't balance it out with a lot of other quite tidy, nice laps. Yeah, McLaren said that they had a little bit of work to do, preventative measures, just to make sure they could run safely and reliably. So they did have some delays. Reinforcing the bodywork was one of the things they said they did. So we'll find out a bit more tomorrow morning in the paddock exactly what's going on with that. <laughs> it's quite difficult with 10 cars to keep track of. Next up is Williams. You're looked, very pensive. It, <laughs> you had to think a long time for that. Yeah, it it looked okay. And the reason I say only okay is because it, it didn't do anything to stand out from that midfield bunch. The first couple of laps I watched from Logan Sargent were a little bit concerning because there were just a, there was a there was a bit of last year's problem into turn ten, and that turn nine ten sweet sequence really exposed the weakness of the Williams last year. It was really bad for that sequence, and Alex Albon said the other day to look out f- for that corner in testing this year. Because if they've made the improvements they hope to have made on the car, it should tell there. So I was a bit worried when it looked like I was watching the same thing over and over again. But I think that was just Sargent with a little bit of rookie exuberance. Because once he sort of reined it in a bit, the car looked okay. It it, it just didn't it didn't look in danger of you know piling over the exit curb or anything like that. It didn't look the most nimble by any means in the midfield, but it didn't look adrift of any of the other cars. It might still be the slowest car. That There's every chance of that, given where Williams was last season. And this is probably the kind of, air, kind of corner combination that I think will probably still be its weakest. But I don't see it being totally detached, where I think it was fair to say in Bahrain last year, it was detached at the back of the field, apart from Alex Albon's qualifying heroics. Yeah, the word I had for Williams was just solid, in a good way. The car didn't show any particular vices, it wasn't stunningly quick, but it was a bit peaky last year, a bit wind sensitive. It may become that when they lean on it more, but it just looked like quite a nice, benign consistent package which is a good thing to work it for. looked like it had that better slightly better through corner balance yeah, that exactly, they were looking yeah. for 
Exactly. Next up, Alfa Romeo. Obviously, they were looking for improved stability at the rear end in the higher speed and a better consistency of balance and performance across slow to medium speed corners, slow to fast corners, rather. You should probably answer this first, then, given that you were stood at a medium fa- fast, well, yes. fast corner. Well, to be honest, it, it, it looked fine there, but the thing I'll take more positives from is the fact that both Joe and Valtteri Bottas said, yeah, they felt it really made some progress. That's what the team was trying to do. So very, very positive for Alfa Romeo. I don't think there's anything stunningly rapid about that car, but I don't think there's anything terribly worrying about it either. The only thing I would say from what I saw is that I I saw Bottas doing quite a a long run in in the the last part of the, the session. And the car looked really, really good right up until the last three laps when it did drop off quite quite a lot. You, I basically watched it go through a stage three laps in a row of just locking up slightly worse each time. It, 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 honestly, it was so consistent all the laps before that, really good. And then there was one lap where it came through with like the, a, the, a faint hint of a of a lock up, but it didn't impact his trajectory. Then the next one, oh, he just about he just missed the apex of a slightly bigger lockup. Then he came from what turned out to be the last push lap on this run with quite a big lockup and just about got it stopped for the corner. So I was like, yeah, this is uh, it faded quite a lot at the end of the stint, but looked really good up until that point. There were a few laps at eleven where it was slightly hesitant on turning, just had that you know, and you have that slightly indecisive turn in face. So I'm going to be looking out to see how that looks in the coming days. But fine for Alfa Romeo Haas. Um, had a little bit of difficulty today. They had some, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think, think it was some kind of throttle related issue. Both drivers complained of it. It's a, it's a Ferrari related problem and they will change the system overnight so that it's fixed for, for tomorrow. It didn't cause them, you know, like a massive, massive setback or anything like that, but it was something both drivers complained about and they want to get on top of just to be clear where I was. Um, the car was, um, scraping on the track really badly it was the only the only car you could hear doing it Gunter Steiner the team boss I asked him about this at the end of the day and he suggested that that might have been because they were playing with ride heights at different times to see how low they could take the car so it could just be that when I was watching it on track it was at a particularly low ride height it was sparking like no other car as well down the back straights I think it was running quite low at that point but it might just be that that's a happy window for that car to be in so it didn't seem like any alarm bells were ringing at Haas yeah, seemed all right for Haas. Alpha Tauri, I must admit, there are a few times when the rear end seemed to be a little bit unconvincing on turning, and they were having to have a kind of little bit of adjustment on on turning with Nick DeVries at the wheel. So, yeah, I wasn't stunned by the, the Alpha Tauri. Yuki Sonoda was saying to us earlier in the day that he felt that they'd improved in the fast corners in that they weren't scrubbing speed and by sliding mid-corner, which is a positive. He was not so happy about the turning in the slower corners. So, yeah, again, I didn't see too many laps from the Alpha Tauri. So, again, very provisional judgment. But put it this way, I'm not thinking Alpha Tauri are looking like a team that's going to leap back towards the front of that midfield group as they were the season before last. At least not yet. They yeah. made tomorrow look really good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I... I I certainly didn't see any of that sort of front end sliding, which was really obvious at that corner last year. I didn't see anything like that. Um, but it was a little bit hit and miss. The longer it went on for, actually, the better the Alphatari looked on a run through there. So that could suggest that was a bit of De Vries adapting his driving and making sure that he just sort of got better in command of the situation as the stint went on. But it was also a little bit disjointed. There, there were one or two laps where to get to the apex of 
10, he had to almost do it in stages. So he sort of turned in for nine, then did another little turn in and then did like a final turn in to get to the apex. So he sort of like narrowed his angle off almost of, of entry, just sort of getting in in stages. But that only happened once or twice. So again, that could be just him feeling out, feeling things out, still getting his bearings and just making sure that he's actually driving the thing properly. And last up is Alpine. Now, I must say, I was stunned by the Alpine. It was the first car I saw coming into Turn 11 as I walked out. I saw it coming in on the brakes and I thought, wow, that's really committed. That's seriously impressive. Then, of course, Esteban Ocon went quite wide. So <laughs> <laughs> anyone can look quite committed and impressive on turn and if they're not going to quite make the corner. He didn't go right off the track. It was a, it was a big understeer rather than a, a, a big off. But <laughs> it was quite funny because there was that moment I was like, is this Alpine absolutely brilliant? It's I, like, no, but it, it looks all right. I'm glad that you had one of those moments. I had an opposite moment where I thought, oh my gosh, this car looks like it might be really bad. <laughs> then it turned out to be okay because there was one lap where Ocon came past and on the exit of the corner, it just looked like he'd got way too carried away on the throttle. And there was a, it was a huge wheel spin moment. I only caught it very briefly. Um, so I thought, oh, that was, that was quite bad. The traction seemed really poor. I don't know what's happened there. Then he obviously carried on running um, over the rest of the, the session. And I noticed it happened at least a couple more times. And when I saw it that time, it realized it was deliberate. He was coming out of the corner, booting the throttle, doing a big wheel spin in the process to get over to the left-hand side of the track so he could then do some aero mapping work down the back straight. So it was it was nothing to do with the, uh, the traction or the drivability of the Alpine. It was just... Ocon booting the throttle, basically, wheel spinning and, and, and moving across. Every, I honestly didn't see enough of the Alpine track side. To, the, the laps he came through were really inconsistent in terms of the speed that he was doing. I didn't really get much of a feel for, for where they are. The drivers sound pretty happy, but there was no evidence track side that I could see to, to criticise or praise them. Yeah, we'll get a lot more data from watching Trackside in the coming days. This is just the initial impressions, although plenty of drivers got lots of laps in. I do quite like the false impression subgenre in terms of that that thing where you you initially think you see something and you don't. I remember years ago being here, actually it was the first Grand Prix of 2010 in Bahrain, and on Friday, Mark Hughes messaged me, he was watching Trackside, and he was like, what, what, what colour helmet has Petrov got? And what had happened was he was being stunned by the guy in the Renault, with the helmet he didn't recognise. Now, what had actually happened was that Kibitza had changed his helmet to be a very different one in 2010. So he was a little bit confused, which is why he was messaging me to check, because he was seeing what he thought might be Vitaly Petrov looking brilliant and Robert Kubitza-esque, <laughs> but it was actually Kibitza, so it all made sense. But it's funny when you get those little uh, little moments. I don't know why that always sticks in my mind. But yeah, like I say, lots more to learn in the coming days. But we hope we've given you a little bit of an impression. Day one of testing, but it's also one third of pre-season testing. So there's not too much to go. But yeah, significant mileage done today. And we're going to learn a lot more tomorrow. But I don't think there's any particular shocks, anybody massively struggling. But as everyone starts leaning more on the cars, understanding them more, seeing how they respond to setups, we'll begin to get a, a better picture of exactly how it's shaking out. But yeah, good start for Red Bull. Thanks very much, Scott, for your insight. Head to therace.com. Don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there, including Gary's analysis of the Red Bull RB19. Have a listen to our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, and also take a look at our YouTube channel. Testing never stops in F1, so stay with us for everything you need to know from Bahrain. The Athletic.